chapter 10. Then I also want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Corinthians ten thirteen is where we've been at in our Sunday school hour the last couple of weeks. And the theme or the subject for the Sunday school hour has been the purpose or understanding the purpose of problems uh, in our life. And First Corinthians ten thirteen says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it and not run away from it, but bear it. And so we're going to continue along uh, this same thought process this morning with understanding the purpose of problems in life and go over to First Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And so Peter talks about God's purpose in our life that sometimes it means and sometimes it will involve some suffering of some problems in this life, but in the end, the result is that we are complete, we're established, we're settled, we're strengthened in our Christian life. And so, we need to just review just a little bit of some of the things that have been talked about over the last couple of weeks. First of all, to understand that problems are a natural part of the child of God's life. Uh, we're not to think it's strange when problems come in our life. And, and we can go over to James, go over to James chapter 1. In James 1 and verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. It means when you're, when you're surrounded by all kinds of adversity, all kinds of adverse experience in your life. That's what these words, when you fall into divers or different kinds of temptations, adversity, or hard experience, when you're surrounded by it, he says, count it all joy, knowing this. Here's, how, here's why. Because we know that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. We may come back to this verse a little bit later, but we need to realize, the point is we need to realize that, that problems are a natural part of our life. I think our just practical experience of life tells us that, that that's true. Uh, who is it that doesn't have trouble and problems in their life? Well, we live in a sinful world full of sinful people, and we make bad choices sometimes, and other things happen as well that just contribute to the fact that it's a natural part of our life. Secondly, we need to re realize that God has the resources for us to deal with problems. And we read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. And He makes a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. And so we need to realize then that God has the resources for us to deal with that. And then thirdly, 
we need to remember that problems need to be dealt with based upon the commands and instructions from God's Word. Our problems can't allow us to compromise God's Word. What happens a lot of times is when we run into trouble uh, or problems, our first reaction, first response is to, how can I get myself out of this? And we'll look to human means or natural means, or we'll come and devise plans uh, for, for ourselves to, to alleviate the problem. But we need to remember that the way to deal with problems is through the commands and instructions of God's Word. There was a time I remember, I was a young and um, probably real early 20s, probably, I suppose. And I remember there was a point in time where trying to go to school and trying to do all these different things, I, was, I, I came to a point at the end of the month where I didn't have enough money to pay this bill that I needed to pay. And my first reaction and my first thought was, who can I borrow the money from as a friend so that I could pay this bill and then, and then you know, pay them back and whatnot. And so my, in, in, instead, of, instead of realizing, probably going back, like you made some bad choices this month and the reason you don't have enough money to pay this bill is because of your own fault, or talking to the Lord about it, I went and devised a plan of, I should go and talk to so-and-so. He's got money. I'll, I'll borrow the money from him. And it was a terrible, terrible fleshly thing uh, to do instead of trusting the Lord. And I went to this friend and I said, hey, can I borrow this money? i got to pay this bill. And you know what? He was spiritually minded enough. And he was enough of a friend to me to tell me, no, I'm not going to lend you the money because the the... The borrower is servant to the lender. We're friends. I don't want something like that in our, in our friendship. I don't want you feeling like you owe me something at the end of the day and we can't have fellowship because of that. He said, no, I'm not going to borrow it or lend it to you. What you ought to do is talk to the Lord about it instead. And sometimes you just have to suck it up because you made some bad choices. That was the best, the best thing he could have ever said to me. I didn't like it in the moment. But it was the best thing that he could have said to me because he was spiritually minded enough to realize that. And my, and my problem was that I was reacting in the flesh, trying to find a way to get myself out of a problem that the Lord didn't want me to get out of at that time. You understand what I'm saying? And so I didn't deal with it based on God's word or Bible principles. Instead of going into the Word of God to find an answer or to talk to the Lord about it, I tried to honestly do things that might, have, that might have compromised the Word of God. So we need to understand that problems need to be dealt with based on the commands and instructions of God's Word. And the fourth thing is that before problems can really be solved, there needs to be some honest admission that I do indeed have a problem. And that was... Part of the, the issue in the illustration that I just gave you was that I was, I was acting in pride, not willing uh, to see my own fault or my own problem there. And so before we can actually deal with the problem, before they can be solved, there has to be some honest admission that indeed there is a problem and it's my problem. And last week, uh, Pastor Humphrey teaching on this that subject or that section 
talked about people rationalizing their problems. Well, rationalize it to justify it, to, to rationalize it away or try to cover it up. But both of those things come from a spirit of pride in our heart. And so those are the, the things that we've talked about today. What we're going to do is look at how God uses problems as tools in our life to bring us about to more godliness or more Christ-likeness. God uses problems and trials in our life to bring about transformation. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you use your word today. We're thankful for each that are here. And maybe there are several who are joining us through the live stream today. We pray for our own who are sick, who are not well. There's several that are out uh, with various sicknesses. And I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen them and raise them up again and we miss them and it's not the same without them but Lord I pray that whether uh, they're here today in person whether they're watching live stream that the Word of God would be rich and useful in our life and that we would engage with it on purpose today uh, to allow it to work in our life to make us more like Christ in Jesus name Amen all right so God uses problems as tools to bring about transformation in our life. The first thing I want to talk about, though, is, is number one, the natural response to problems. Let me ask the question, and a question that you could ask yourself right now in this moment. All right? Ask yourself the question. All right, everybody here? Engaging? How do you view the problems that come your way. Some of you might be full of problems right now in this very moment. How do you view them? How are you looking at them? How do you view the problems that come your way? The natural response to problems. Too often we look at our problems in a negative light. So the moment that a problem comes around, our first thought is how negative that particular issue or problem is. We respond to them then in a natural or the fleshly way from the perspective of the natural man. Okay? When we read over in James, how James 1 says to count it all joy when you are surrounded by adverse experience in your life, that is not a natural response okay that is a supernatural response that is a grace of god response to our problems or a spiritual response which we'll talk about in a minute the natural response is not to be like oh yay look at that i just got problems everywhere all the world is great aren't you having a good time today that's not how we normally respond we look at our trials of life as an enemy, something to run from, something to get away from. We allow problems then. Okay, so what comes after that? All right? Surrounded by trouble, problems. It's an enemy. I don't like this. I want to get away from it. I'm responding that way. What happens next? Well, typically then, that problem or those problems begin to upset us. They frustrate us, right? So now my mood is 
different. My mood has changed. My view of the world, my view of the circumstance, my view of people is changed. I'm angry. And then after that fleshly response, then comes the grumbling. Then comes the complaining when the problems come our way. Okay? Am I, am I connecting here? How do I know these things? I know so much about you. It's because I am you. <laughs> I know it. But as believers, that's not the response that God wants us to have. In fact, when we allow our, our mood and our spirit and our attitude and our view and our responses to change because of problems that come into my life, typically what's coming with that is sin. Because the way I respond to people, right? Or the way that I, I start grumbling or complaining rather than being content in God's perfect will and God's trusting the Lord. Uh, there's sin that comes with it. And as a Christian, as a child of God, as a believer, that needs to be confessed as sin and realize that I need to look at this from a biblical point of view and then respond accordingly from a biblical point of view. How do we do that? Well, let's consider number two, the godly response to our problems. Now, I don't have the whiteboard up here. I'm not really as good with the whiteboard as Pastor Humphrey is, so you're just going to have to pay attention instead of have something to look at, all right? He does a great job with that, and it's helpful for my simple mind to grab it sometimes, but um, I'm afraid of spelling words wrong in front of people, so I just, I'm just not going to do it, right? <laughs> no, I try not to spell words wrong. I just like it when he does, because then I can talk to him about it later. If you're watching, Brother Humphrey, we can talk about it later. <laughs> the natural response is not the right response. God wants us to have a spiritual response and to look at the problem from a biblical point of view and then respond accordingly. How, what is that biblical point of view? That God uses these things in my life as tools to transform me for good, to develop my character, to develop Christ's likeness in me. Now, when we read verses like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 18, that says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We don't need that spelled out any more clearly, do we? In everything give thanks. This is the will of God. Okay, the Lord made it clear. This is His will. Do we give thanks then in everything? Even those trials and those problems typically know. But the natural response is, is not the right response. The biblical response is, okay, to view it from a biblical point of view that in everything I ought to give thanks. God has a purpose, a plan in my life, and I ought to be thankful that God is using this for, his good, for my good and His glory in my life somehow. Let's go back over to James chapter 1. How is that possible to give thanks? How is it possible to look at the problems of life and say, okay, 
I ought to be thankful for this. Well, James 1 in verse 2, James really much, pretty much says the same thing as far as how, what our spirit and attitude ought to be. He says, count it all joy. How do we count it all joy when we're surrounded by all of these problems? Verse 3 gives us the answer, knowing this. I can be joyful. I can be thankful. Why? Because I know that the trying of my faith right now is for the purpose of working patience in my life. God is wanting to use this to bring about spiritual gain in my life. And I know this. How do I know this? Because I know God, and I know His character, and I know He loves me, and I know that He's always good all the time in everything. And so instead of grumbling <coughs> and complaining, I can trust God's character. And I can start to look at it through a biblical lens that changes my perspective that now I see, okay, I know what's happening here. God is really good to me. And God, even in the middle of the trial, He's really good to me. I can then begin to be thankful for what is happening in my life, even though it's not cool or fun in the moment, because there's something much bigger and something much greater in store than just getting out of the problem. God is working patience in my life, and I ought to let patience then have her complete or perfect work. Why? Because I'm going to be perfect or an entire wanting nothing. I'm not lacking anything of spiritual good in my life when this is done. That's really powerful to be able to start to see it through the right kind of eyes rather than the fleshly eyes. Okay, so number three then. Problems are God's tools of transformation. Problems are God's tools of transformation. Remember Job? We don't have to go back and look at all of the events of his life. But if you'll recall, Job came to understand the purpose of the problems in his life, and he understood that God was allowing this to bring about transformation because Job said in Job 23 and verse 10, He knoweth the way that I take. He knows what's going on in my life right now. And when he hath tried me, so he also knew what the root of it was, right? that God was at the root of it, that it was a trial, that God knows what's going on. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knew that the end of it was something very valuable in his life. What a great perspective. Number one, the Lord knows what's happening in my life. Number two, he's at the root of it. When he hath tried me, number three, the end result is he wants me to be uh, changed and my character develop and me for, to, to have spiritual good in my life. And, and so that's the right perspective, that God uses it as a tool of transformation. Peter understood how God uses problems too. Peter tells us, go over to 1 Peter, since we're here in James, we're right next to it. 1 Peter chapter 1. He tells us that we can rejoice in problems because they refine us. 
in our life. 1 Peter 1 and verse 6, wherein, okay, let's go back a little bit. Let's see. <clears throat> let's just start in verse 5. Who are kept, he's talking about children of God, were kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, so he's talking about we're able to rejoice because we're kept by the power of God. Then he says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so Peter here tells us that we can rejoice even in our problems because those problems refine us and encourage us. You get sin out of our life. It, it gives us the ability to honor the Lord. And when we stand before Him face to face, our life will be to praise and glory and honor of the Lord. Romans 8, 28. You know it well. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things, even those problems and those trials, work for good so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So if all things work together for good, and we can look at these as not enemies, but we can rejoice in understanding what the purpose of it is, that's going to enable us to get through that problem when we understand what it's really all about. We can bear it. We can walk through it if we submit to it rather than fighting against it. So then the question might come up, how does God use problems then to refine us? How does God use problems to grow us? Right? If all we're doing is just trying to survive to get through it, and all we're doing is just muddling through day by day, not with the right perspective, we'll miss this. And sometimes... When we're acting that way, God needs to do another kind of work in our life to humble us, to get us to the place where we can start to submit. So how does God use the problem to bring about a transformation? Well, first of all, we're, we're going to talk about each of these here. We're going to talk about how God humbles us. Secondly, we're going to talk about how the, God uses it to make us dependent upon Him. Because we're so self-sufficient, we think we are anyway. Thirdly, we'll talk about how God sometimes will use it to chasten or instruct us. And then we'll talk about how God will use it to develop our character and then to enable us or prepare us to be able to actually be a blessing and help other people. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but there have been several times when situations have come up in my life where I've been able to give some good advice 
or some good counsel to someone else, and I know what I'm talking about because I walked through that before, right? And the Lord used it in my own life at the time to grow me, but now I actually can be a help to somebody because I understand what you're going through. I can relate to you right now, but here's what you need to understand, friend. And in some cases, like in the Apostle Paul's case, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the Apostle Paul understood that sometimes his problems, they weren't even about him. They weren't even about necessarily growing him. They were, they were so that he could be a help to someone else. But God needed to do that in his life so that it's for your sake. And so that is also something that God will do. So let's consider each of these point by point. We'll see how far we'll get through these. So how does God use problems in our life? First of all, God uses problems to humble us. Humble us. Now, one of the most devastating character traits, I'm not going to say quality, because it's not a quality. <laughs> Characteristics of a person's life, something that can mark you, as an individual, is pride. Pride. And it's something we all have a problem with. And if you say, oh, I don't have a problem with pride. <laughs> well, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty humbling just in itself when you think about that. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. So I could, I could start on this side of the room. I usually start on this side because I'm right-handed. And I pick on Chris a lot, so I just pick on John. Jock's like, oh, oh no. No, no, no. Jock, you're an abomination to the Lord. Chris is like, is he going to say my name? <laughs> Krista, you're an abomination to the Lord. Ron, you're an abomination to the Lord and to a lot of other people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm an abomination to the Lord. You ever thought about that? I don't want to be. But everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's not, the rest of that verse goes on to say, though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. It's not something that we, we, we want to be. It's obviously not something God wants us to be. God doesn't want us to be an abomination to him, does he? And so that issue of pride uh, some, it needs to be broken. It needs to be dealt with in our life. And God sometimes will then take problems and trials on purpose to bring about humility in our life, to humble us. That's the point. The attitude of pride curtails the believer's usefulness to the cause of Christ. It keeps us from being able to be used of God. Why is it that there are some people that just continue to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle? And they can't ever get it together. 
and they can't serve God and they're not faithful to the Lord because they're so tied to all of these other things. Why is that? Maybe it's because, maybe it's because of the issue of pride in our life. They're not surrendered to the Lord. They're not humble and God's trying to break that in their life. So the problems keep mounting. They keep building up. Can't ever quite get out from under it. God's not going to let you because he wants to humble you or me. God wants to use us effectively for him, for his glory. He wants us to be like Christ, and we are not at all like Christ with a proud heart. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 says if there be therefore any consolation in Christ if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the spirit if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vain glory but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that he was of a humble, lowly mind. And we're not at all like Christ with a proud heart. God can't use this. It stifles uh, our ability to be used of God. And for God to effectively use us, He may need to use the problems to humble us, to get us to the point in the place where we can be used of God. He had to do that with the nation of Israel. God said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, allowed you to hunger and, and, and to go hungry and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that the man that doth not, man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And we'll talk about our dependence on God in just a second here. But God said to the nation of Israel, put you in the wilderness these 40 years, made you suffer or allowed you to go through this to humble you. Think of the example of Paul with me for a minute. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So how do you view the problems that you're going through in life? 
recognizing that God wants to work His will in us, that maybe He needs to humble me. I'm not submitting to His will. I can't be used of God with this mindset, this frame of mind, and so we continue to struggle. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 <coughs> Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. So he says, God has revealed a lot of things to me. And lest that I be proud about that or be exalted above measure that God has given me these revelations that he's not given to other people. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for, thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then here's Paul's attitude. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul said, lest I become proud, there was this thorn in the flesh that was given to me, and I didn't want it in my life. I asked the Lord to take it away. But when the Lord said no and said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, his whole attitude about it changed. I'm gonna, I glory in the fact that I'm going to have reproaches and, and troubles and, and hardships because then I know that the power of God is on me and I'm not acting in, in, in pride in my life. Many times people think or ask this question. <coughs> If God really loves me, why am I going through this? What, you, what, is, what, what did I do to you, God? That kind of stuff. Those kinds of questions. Why doesn't He just take this away from me? Why did, why, did, why did God let this happen in my life? And our attitude toward the Lord is all wrong. Maybe the answer is the same one that Paul was realizing that you need some humility in your life so that you can be used of God to a greater degree. Paul didn't want to be proud, and he said, so lest I be exalted above measure. And that would have kept him from being fully used by the Lord. And so the Lord allowed some sort of ongoing physical problem in Paul's life. But God was faithful. God took care of the problem by providing the necessary grace to be able to go through it and bear it. And Paul recognized he had to rely on the Lord for the Lord's strength. And I think that Maybe sometimes that occurs in our lives as well. And it becomes the secret to power with God, a thorn in the flesh. And it's continual. 
because it keeps me humble, number one, and then number two, which we'll talk about here, it makes me dependent on Him. So, we'll move on to that here in just a second, but I want you to look at Galatians chapter 6 with me. Galatians chapter 6, and we find that the ability to handle or solve problems in life is greatly hindered because of this issue of pride in our life. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God calls for humility. God calls for meekness on the part of those who are trying to resolve problems and issues. Because pride in the middle of that greatly hinders the ability to deal with or solve or resolve problems. Okay? So, we're talking about the fact that God uses problems to transform our lives, that all things work together for good. Number one, how does God do that? He does it, first of all, by humbling us. And secondly, God uses the problems then to make us dependent on Him. And we saw some of this in, in Paul's statement that, that he, would, he glories in the problems and the infirmities so that the power of Christ would rest upon Him. He learned and knew that he had to be, that that thorn in the flesh made him dependent on the Lord. And you know what? For Americans, <clears throat> it's really easy to and get stuck in to stay in and get stuck in a self-sufficient uh, attitude that I can do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. I'm a self-made kind of guy, kind of girl, whatever. But problems can bring us back to the reality if we'll let it. When we just keep beating our head against the same wall over and over and over again to realize that, listen, I can't do it. I can't do it without God and without God's help. And the problem is I'm not humble before Him and I'm not submitted to Him and I just need to rely on Him and let it go. Jeremiah 10.23 says it well when it says this, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. He had the right attitude. I know that the way of man is not in himself. I don't have power to do anything. Self-sufficiency is also based in pride. Now, it's not wrong to have the heart attitude to work hard and to make your own way and to, to do the, it's not wrong to have that uh, character quality about us. It is wrong when we are stubborn in pride and we're not actually relying on the Lord. Self-sufficiency is going to lead to problems and disaster in our life. We need God. Perhaps Paul said it best when he wrote this, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 
You know, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They had to learn a lesson. That wilderness experience that Israel went through put them in a place and made them in a put them in a place where they had to be dependent on God. God put them in a spot where there was no way out. You depend on the Lord or you die. Imagine if we were put into that spot. Right? There was little, I can do it myself, I think, going on after some time. Right? How would you be out in the desert for a few weeks? I wonder how many of us would really be crying out to God, dependent on the Lord. Think about it. Their provisions were gone. after They had all this stuff that they left Egypt with. Lots and lots of stuff that they left, and food and everything else that they left Egypt with. But after a while, all that stuff was gone. And all the gold and everything else that they came out of Egypt with, what good was that out in the middle of the desert when there's nothing to drink and nothing to eat? Their supplies went away real quick. And I think that they probably realized that their very existence depended upon God. It's so easy to think that we're self-sufficient. And we're so busy working, we're so busy doing our things, that we don't have time to read God's Word. We don't have time to come before Him in prayer. We don't have time. And what that shows is that we're not really very dependent on the Lord. That's what that shows. And it's almost as if we say, well, you know, when I have the time, I'll spend some time with the Lord. Sorry, Lord, I'm too busy uh, for you today. Right? Come on. It shows that we're not really dependent on the Lord. When that self-sufficient attitude creeps into the life and the Lord, it's not God's will for us. So the Lord may have to do something a little more extreme and reach into his box of tools, pull out the problem tool, (laughs) and use it in our life. All of a sudden, all of our things are not working out so great. All of a sudden, problems are coming our way. All of a sudden, we're feeling like we're in a hole and we're drowning. Can't hardly keep our head above water. Why? Well, I think maybe the words of John in John 15 could explain it. Where John writes concerning Jesus and Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
for without me ye can do nothing. I think we need to be reminded of that. Nothing of lasting value, nothing of any worth can be accomplished apart from dependence on the Lord. And we can't be used of God like he wants with that self-sufficient, proud heart. And so God may allow problems into our life so that we get our eyes off of ourselves and back onto him. We might need a wilderness experience where we're put in that spot. You trust in the Lord, depend on the Lord, or you die. But God is good, and God is gracious in that. That's only the goodness of God that's doing that in our life to bring us back into that place where we can be blessed and be used of God. So, got five minutes. Let's just talk for a second about this third one. So we're talking about how God uses problems. How does God do that? Number one, He uses it to humble us. Number two, He can use problems to make us dependent on Him. But thirdly, sometimes God uses problems to correct us. To correct us. The Lord may allow problems in our lives to bring about chastening or correction in our life. That's one of the reasons that Israel faced their wilderness experience in the first place. Go back over to Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And look at verse 5 with me. Deuteronomy 8, 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandment of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Now, verse 5 says that we that the nation of Israel needed to consider in their heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord chasteneth thee. Um, That is in the context of the nation of Israel and their wilderness experience. So understand this, consider this, that just as a man chastens his son, so the Lord is doing the same in your life. The Hebrew word that is translated as chasten here has a twofold meaning. And it's related to our education. First of all, it refers to physical chastening. But second of all, it refers to verbal instruction. So, what are we talking about here? Well, discipline can be, or correction, can be in the form of chastening. No one likes to, to, to be spanked, <laughs> you know. But it may be necessary from time to time for the Lord to spiritually do that in our life. When we're not submissive to Him and we're not humble and we're not dependent on the Lord 
God might have corrective intentions and he might have punitive intentions through the trials or the problems in our life. The punishment the Lord administers to Christians, though, is not for the purpose of of extracting payment for their sin or something like that. (coughs) That was cared for by Christ on the cross. Amen? It's designed to correct wrong behavior or wrong thinking or wrong attitudes, wrong motives, and produce and bring about holiness and godliness in our life. Go over to Hebrews 12. We'll have to finish up with this here for the sake of time. But note Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 11, Hebrews 12, 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight uh, paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. What does God want? God wants us to grow spiritually, but sometimes we've got our own will and our own agenda, and oftentimes we refuse to be open to God's will, and we're not going to be obedient to His way. And so, spiritually speaking, God's got to take us out to the woodshed. And He uses just the right problem in our life as the paddle for correction. But what's the purpose of it? Well, verse 11, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. That's the purpose of it all. In the end, to bring about righteousness and holiness. So problems... And discipline can be in the form of chastening. Sometimes it's the problems that the Lord uses. But also it can be for instruction as well. Problems provide an opportunity for us to learn a lot of things. And I'll just cut to the chase with this. Hebrews 5.8 says, Though he were a son, it's referring to Christ, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Christ learned to obey the will of the Father, and he was able to relate to the human experience through problems, through through the things that he suffered. And if Jesus learned that way, we should not expect anything different in our own life, that sometimes that's what it takes. You know those kinds of people that they only learn the hard way, right? I think that's why Peter says that we shouldn't be surprised. Don't think it's strange when the fiery trial happens in your life. God knows what's in our heart, and there's some lessons that we're not going to learn unless we're faced with the problems. And I think that ultimately, and we'll finish up 
here that problems the Lord uses. Sometimes it's punitive, sometimes it's for instruction, but ultimately the Lord wants us to bring us to a place where we simply will obey Him. Where we'll just obey Him. And problems provide that opportunity sometimes. There's a lot of things that we know in our head, Bible principles that we know in our head, Bible truths that we know in our head. But those don't do any good if we don't put it to practice in the life. Right? You're well-instructed people. You are, you are doctrinally sound, well-instructed people in the Word of God. There's a lot of things that you and I both know in our head, but that doesn't do any good if it's not applied in our life. And we get to that point. We're not applying the Bible principle, and so God will bring us to a place where, hey, you straighten up. Start practicing what you know. Obey. Amen? And all of that is because God is good. And He's good all the time. Amen? And He loves us, and He wants to use us. And so sometimes we're in the middle of those trials and those problems, and we're grumbling and we're complaining, trying to find that fleshly way out. God says, no. You need to learn this lesson instead. Wake up. Pay attention. Because there's some good I want to do in your life. So let patience have her perfect work then. Amen? That's good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its instruction. How practical it is in our life. And help us to look with biblical glasses. Biblical eyes. And then, Lord, instead of just knowing Bible truth, then begin to apply it and live it. And then we'll reap the benefit of it and begin to realize once again how good you really are to us. That you care. And that you desire to mold us and shape us into something that is beautiful in your sight, that's glorifying to your Son. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to yield to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.